Burdened with a difficult childhood, a small-town boy sought escape through the allure of the silver screen. That boy was my father, and tonight we explore history and pop culture through film and television trivia. Welcome to the Marionette Theater. Take your seats. The next matinee minutia is about to begin. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Why, hello there, Mr. Smelly. It's so good to see you. How did you enjoy your time off, sir? Well, I was working hard, working hard, doing uh, my other little shoe. And, uh, oh, I just uh, just didn't stop uh, with other projects, but it was a very nice break. Um, from Matinee Minutia, I feel a little refreshed and ready to start season two. Ah, well, I want to thank you so much for supervising the renovations here. The place looks great. We've, we've gotten a fresh coat of paint in the lobby, and we got some new curtains, and we even managed to get the carpets shampooed. That was, uh... That was a task and a half, but uh, you're welcome. It, it's my pleasure. Uh, there's nothing better that I like than, than old-time theaters, and um, the Marionette Theater is certainly one of those, and uh, it, it, could, it, it, it needed some tender love and care. It sure did. Now, before we get into tonight's show, uh, it's important to note that our senior showgirl, Gertie, she took a spill down the stairs just before we went on break. And well, it's been a while. So uh, she was able to join us again tonight. But she's she's actually busy behind the snack bar right now. We've we've put in a whole bunch of new things. We got soft pretzels. We've got ice cream and some fancy coffee drinks. So she's learned the ropes over there. But we had a little bit of drama that went on. And, uh, well, I think that I should uh, play this little story that we have going on here, sir. All right. I remember it like it was yesterday. We just graduated school and we're even both going to the same college in the fall. We were working as acrobats that summer to save for our apartment. Everything seemed to be going so well. We were raking it in until... Until, you know, it was never my fault. If only you'd kept your paws out of my purse. Until one of us mistook a laxative for a breath mint. And as they say, the rest is history. You know, I, I, I was very off that day. I had to miss my grandmother's birthday party. And it was her last. Oh, dear. I I never knew. Yeah, well, this is my gig, toots. I've got the boots. You do the walking. You know, I never asked for this job. You haven't heard the last from me, sweetheart. Oh, oh. I just a little bit of the backstage drama between Stutzy and uh, <clears throat> and our Gertie. Uh, Gertie's, uh, safe to say, uh, reclaimed her, her spot as our uh, announcer lady, as well as the concession stands gal. DJ, by the way, 
uh, I hope. Have you run into uh, Gertie in the last half hour? <laughs> she gets. She is fit to be tied. Oh, with all, new, all the new things around here. She uh, she can't find anything. And uh, anyways, it's it's best that maybe she's not on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she said something about the uh, the new microwave looked like mission control to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 bring her along. <laughs> so I think that we have a little something here that's going to tell our folks about the program we're discussing tonight. It's a very very basic story: an English teacher and struggling single mom has her life disrupted when the father who abandoned her as a child comes back into her life, carrying that black satchel. Of uh, something like uh, $687,000. Yes, a very specific uh, amount. Now, yeah, folks, this is the trailer, as you would have seen it in the theater, for uh, There are a few Max things missing in this return. woman's life. This is a film from uh, 1983. Money? Whoever told you that abject poverty was a character builder was misinforming you. Romance? I don't know, maybe for the time being, it would be better if we didn't see so much of each other. This is our first date. A father for her child. Why did you let him spend the night? And her car. They stole my car! All she needs is a little Max Dugan. <laughs> there Max you go. Dugan? You wore a black Max hat, Dugan a black coat, life. and a black Strange and satchel. DJ Satchel. But who is Max Dugan? He came ten days ago wearing a black hat, black coat, Carrying a black satchel. We never talk about him. What did he do for the... I don't know. Whoops. Max Dugan was a fine man. He is. Uh, he was. You know, he's won in Las Vegas, not only by the police, but by some very irate gentlemen who break your legs. We are at the part of the show where we tell you a little bit about the world that uh, was around at the time that this was released. Now, the Max Dugan Returns came out to theaters in 1983. So this is the the U.S. or the world in 1983 in 30 seconds or 60, somewhere like that. So we have the musical Annie is performed on Broadway for the last of its 2,377 shows. Oy. In Hawaii, Mount Kilauea began erupting and... To the today, up to today, it is still erupting at some that level. on volcano. <laughs> oh, property values. Apple releases the Lisa, which is the first commercial computer. Okay, I just got to say, I never heard about the Lisa. Never knew about it. I did not know that. <laughs> the U.S. the Environmental Protection Agency began evacuating a dioxin-contaminated small town in Missouri. You probably have never heard of it. It was called Times Beach. It was so badly polluted with dioxin, which is basically pollution from these type of chemicals you find in uh, detergents. So uh, that was in '83. We also have President Reagan announce the Star Wars. No, not to George, uh, George Lucas film, a uh, military program, a missile defense system. 
let's see. So also in Maine, schoolgirl Samantha Smith is invited to the Soviet Union. Oh, oh, I I can't not uh, step in here and give give the audience, uh, forgive me, DJ, and Mm -hmm. just a tad bit of trivia after that. Sure. A little bit about President Reagan uh, announces his Star Wars plan. Uh, This year, 1983, was also the year that Broderick's second movie, which was far more popular than Max Dugan Returns, it was called War Games. And uh, War Games was kind of all about... uh, um, Star Wars kind of uh, defense missile missile systems. Oh so. yeah, and you know um, it was such a uh, iconic movie for its time. It had a a uh, a big brain that was built the supercomputer. Of course, it was called the Whopper, and um, I do believe that his co-star in that film was a uh, Disney actor Dabney Coleman. Uh, that's true. That's true. So, uh, DJ, you were just about to tell us about a main schoolgirl, Samantha Smith. Yeah. So uh, after she she wrote a letter about uh, fears of the nuclear war impending, uh, her letter got read and she was invited to the Soviet Union. Also in 83, the National Missing Children's Children's Day was established. This is because uh, a young boy named Itan Khalil Potts, Pats, P-A-T-Z, he was one of the first missing child cases to have a photo appear on a milk carton. Uh, That day was proclaimed by President Reagan then. Uh, Just a handful more things. Astronaut Sally Ride became the first American woman in space. Uh, Gwyn Bluford becomes the first first African-American astronaut in space. Vanessa Williams, that lady that sang about, uh, you know, the wind in Pocahontas and many other things, uh, including um, she was later in, uh, what was it? Um, oh, the show about the uh, the housewives. It's not a reality show. I'm forgetting the name right now. But Vanessa Williams became the first African-American woman crowned Miss America. And then rounding 1983 out, Reagan signed a bill creating a federal holiday on the third Monday of every January to honor American civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. So Dr. King's birthday was officially, finally recognized as a federal holiday established in January. And then the FDA approved cyclosporine. This is a very important breakthrough It was a drug that revolutionized organ transplants in 1983. Excellent. Um, So we had a couple celebrity births, and uh, one would be Carrie Underwood, way back in 1983. She's a country musician. Uh, Myla Kunis, um, an actress from that 70s show, and uh, Jupiter Ascending, and... uh, she is the wife of Ashton Kutcher, if you didn't know. Because Max Dugan is a movie, we also like to tell you about what else came out in theaters that year in 1983. So, uh... The competition in 1983, well, go figure, George Lucas had a little movie out that year. It was the last in the original trilogy, Return of the Jedi, was number one in 83. 
Now, uh, if you can imagine, I was a little boy, and I do remember going to see it. I wanted an Ewok doll that year. Uh, <laughs> we, we forgive you, DJ. We forgive you. <laughs> that movie scored $252 million at the box office. Some of the other films were Terms of Endearment at 108, Flashdance at 92 million. Now, of course, no surprise, Max Dugan being sort of a guilty pleasure of mine. Well, it's uh, somewhere below the middle mark. It was number yeah. 40 at 17 million. Well, you know, we like to support the underdog here on that name new show. <laughs> and it's interesting to note that. Uh, the film that did one better than Max Dugan was A Christmas Story. Can you believe that, folks? That movie <laughs> they play 50,000 million times on TV, <laughs> A Christmas Story, was made in 1983. And it was originally a series of short stories or essays in Playboy magazine. <laughs> uh, that was number 39 at 19 million. And then uh, one of the movies that did uh, just slightly better then Max Dugan Returns uh, starred um, oh, uh, Meryl Streep and Cher. $35 million. Silkwood was number 19 in 19. The origin of the uh, phrase, uh, ooh, I had, I had a Silkwood shower. As you get into the story, you learn that her father worked in Vegas and of course, like a lot of people, he had a calculating mind, and that six hundred and eighty-seven dollars was the money that he was that was stolen from him. So he skimmed it off the top, right? And um, you'll find out as the as we go along what ha what uh, happens with all that money, which is sort of what uh, puts a, a dent in this uh, family's life. Marsha Mason is the mother, and uh, Matthew, uh, I was just about to say Matthew Burlingame was the son, <laughs> but it's Matthew Broderick uh, was the son. Actually, play that little clip I've got of when uh, Marsha Mason's car is stolen in the beginning of this movie. They live in a... A crummy house. They've got a crummy car, and she has the worst luck at uh, uh, being a single mom raising her uh, teenage son who is uh, uh, trying to hide the fact that he started a smoking habit. Naughty, naughty man. Excuse me, I'm late for work. Would you mind terribly if I went ahead of you? Go ahead. I got nothing to do all day. Now, the other part of this clip that's so great is that it has one of the best lines in the whole movie. They're sitting in the car, warming it up in the morning, and it's jiggling like it needs shocks and whatever. And the kid says to his mom, what's wrong with it? And she says, it's a year older than you are. Right. And uh, as you listen Wait, to the dialogue, uh, uh, this is sir, written sir. by... Uh, the did, wonderful Neil Simon, and this is very typical. Oh no, this isn't happening. This uh, isn't possible. Banter. Oh my God! And, uh, I can't find my car. Something wrong? That he would put I in can't find my car. I can't find your car. No. Did you park it here? Certainly, I parked it right here. Oh, I don't believe this. They stole my car. Who did? So, in the cast of this Neil Simon play turned film. We have 
a veteran theater actress, and, well, uh, soon-to-be ex-wife at the time of Neil Simon, Marsha Mason. And uh, Marsha Mason, she grew up in St. Louis, and uh, while she was married to Neil Simon, she appeared in five movies. This included The Goodbye Girl in 77, The Cheap Detective in 78, and Chapter 2 in 79, and then Only When I Laugh in 81, and then, of course, Max Dugan Returns. Yes, indeed. Um, And I think uh, she's very well remembered for the goodbye girl. Yes. And uh, from those five roles, she garnered three Best Actress Oscar nominations, which were from The Goodbye Girl, Chapter 2, and Only When I Laugh, but none of which she actually won. Hmm. (laughs) But Miss Mason is one of 17 actresses. That's a small number when you consider the grand scheme of things to have received a Best Actress Oscar nomination for performance where they acted out a labor and or birth. So she's a pro at being a mom. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) DJ, can you tell me why on earth or who on earth or what insane person decided that Marsha Mason should be a blonde in this damn (laughs) Max? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Maybe she had recently seen the Barbara Streisand version of star is born. (laughs) Uh, yeah, because she's got that hideous perm. <laughs> Anyways, it is not flattering, and I cannot believe that nobody said, can we just make her brunette again? Oh, okay, who else we got? Jason Robards. Yes, now real quickly, just to finish out Miss Mason there, she passed on the title role for Normal Ray, which was Sally Fields. And that won Sally a Best Actress Oscar. Of course, that's her <laughs> famous you, you Love Me uh, speech. And then uh, during the 90s, she played a love interest for uh, the father on, um, oh, what's his name, on Frasier. So, um, yeah, uh, Kelsey Grammer's character's dad. Okay, so um, next up on the cast, Toppy, we have Mr. Jason Robards. Now, tell me a little about him, because I think he's a seasoned actor. (laughs) Well, uh, he is, and he did. He's an incredible actor, uh, and he was very seasoned when he had this role in Max Dugan. Not sure how he got talked into doing it, but uh, oh, previously married to Lauren Bacall, um, and he's uh, received Oscar nomination, Tonys, and uh, he won. Uh, he's won Emmys. He's won the Tonys. Won a couple of Oscars. So he is. Um, quite the actor and he's best known starting out in theater he did a lot of um plays by o'neill a lot of heavy duty roles um and uh, his first tony was uh, for the play the disenchanted back in 59 um and his emmy was uh for a miniseries inherit the wind in 1988 long career uh, and uh, kind of, um, oh, he would play the everyman, and he would play um, 
oh, officials and uh, people like in the all all the president's men. Uh, the movie that he did in 1976. He was the editor, the strong-willed editor that kept the two writers on track. So um, he is um, a kind of a beloved actor who is no longer with us. No, he did uh, rack in a few awards, though, for his time. He was the uh, 11th actor to win the Triple Crown of Acting, which... That consists of an Oscar, a Tony, and an Emmy. And he won two Oscars for Best Supporting Actor in All the President's Men in 76, and then Best Actor in Julia in 77. And, of course, the list goes on for his Tony and his Emmy. And that's uh, just posted a picture, and I think that's Jason Robards from Julia. Um, And uh, he had a, a nice little supporting role uh, in that movie. Um, oh, also, I, I just want to uh, uh, correct you about Neil Simon's writing uh, on this movie. Um, this was not a play. It was never a play. Hmm. Max Duke's Return is one of Neil Simon's original screenplays. Oh. So although he did adapt a, a lot of his plays to the movies, um, he also wrote some original screenplays, and Max Dugan Returns is one of those. Oh. So we another actor, uh, renowned, still with us today. Uh, tell us about Donald Sutherland, DJ. Well, Mr. Donald Sutherland plays the love interest in Max Dugan Returns, uh, a, a police detective who comes to the scene when uh, the main character, Nora, uh, Nora McPhee, has her car stolen, as you heard in the little clip there. So, Donald Sutherland, his first breakthrough role was in The Dirty Dozen, which is a film in 67. It also starred Ernest Borgnine and Charles Bronson, two big, big names there. And he was also the original Hawkeye Pierce in the film version of MASH, starring, of course, Sally Kellerman back in 1970. And it also starred Tom Skerritt in that film with him. He's, yeah, I always forget Tom Skerritt's in that movie. Of course, his other big co-star is uh, um, Elliot Gould. Oh, in, uh, Ash. Yeah, and then of course, uh, you know, '80s TV actor, uh, and then later into the '90s on Star Trek, Rene Auberjonois. He was in the original Mash. Yes, and congratulations on pronouncing his last name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have to uh, testify that I have seen the man in person, so I feel that uh, there's a certain respect due to his presence. <laughs> certainly, certainly. He's certainly had a lot of interesting character roles in the movies. I, I remember him uh, amusingly, uh, I think most for whatever reason, in Dino DeLaurentiis' remake of King Kong, um, he was quite the comic relief in that movie. Um, let's move on to Matthew Broderick. Oh, what can you say about this kid? He was hot when he started. He was in a ton of movies when he started. He also had a, a successful uh, Broadway career. He's won two Tony Awards, um, one for Brighton Beach Memoirs, written by Neil Simon, um, also for Best Actor in a Musical for How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in 1995. 
And he was also in a really crummy movie remake of Godzilla. <laughs> Never mind about that. Uh, as we mentioned before, he, he did a War Games, which really, uh, I mean, Max Dugan, you know, kind of came and went, to be honest with you. But War Games made the same year. Well, that really... Uh, set him uh, on, on to, into stardom, not to mention uh, he starred in Ferris Bueller, which was a very popular movie. And then he went on to star in like 11 films over the next five years. He was quite um, so busy. He was busy, a busy, busy man. And we already mentioned um, the fact that uh, uh, in this uh, Max Dugan Returns, Jason Robards knew his father. And he mentored Broderick through uh, the period of mourning that he had while he was in. Um, now, damn it, DJ, you get to talk about Dodie Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, it, it was very popular in this time frame. Uh, it was sort of, um, well, I don't know if it was originated, but everybody knows the, the, uh, the sitcom Bewitched with the nosy neighbor Gladys Kravitz. Well, Jodie Goodman is a character actress, and she plays the nosy neighbor in this. And uh, her, her name is Mrs. Litke, and you you know this because at one point, the love interest Brian, the lieutenant, he says uh, that she's Mrs. Keen Eye Litke, and that she's more reliable than the CIA. Uh. <laughs> and you actually heard her voice, her very distinctive voice in the clip we played. Uh, she happened to be in line when Marsha Mason was trying to get something that her car was stolen. So she had a couple lines in there. Very distinctive voice. Nobody in the world looks like her. She was just one of those comedic character actresses that's been in a thousand little things. Um, and once you see her, you'll know, oh, my God, that's that's. Dodie, Dodie Goodman. And in fact, she was compared in her day, because she has since passed, but uh, Dodie Goodman was compared to the late Gracie Allen in the early days of her career. Her breakthrough role was as high school principal assistant to co-star, and this is one of my favorites that I've mentioned, one of my dad's favorite actresses, Eve Arden. She played... The right arm of e. Darvin, Eve Arden's character, the high school principal assistant in Greece in 78 with Olivia Newton-John. And then another cute little character part she played, which is, it's hard to say which of these is my favorite. She got to be the office assistant, and of course in that day we would have called her a secretary in Splash with Tom Hanks and John Candy. And it's just such a perfect moment because her character is so quirky. She comes to work and she's wearing her brassiere on the outside of her blouse. And mm -hmm. clearly she's not all there. And uh, the older brother played by Tom Hanks says to his brother, she can still do a few things around the office. And her his brother by John play by John Candy says like what jump start a car because of course I, I missed the, the the bigger part of the joke she'd recently been hit by lightning okay <laughs> well Dodie Goodman folks and Todd said something interesting in the chat room and I, I would like to, to clarify so she says I love Mrs. Kravitz the first one is that true was Mrs. Kravitz 
what was that? Bewitched or I Dream of Genie? Bewitched. And I'm sure that Matt uh, Spanky there might know a little bit about this because I think Bewitched was one of his favorites. But was was uh, Dodie Goodman like the first Mrs. Kravitz? And oh, then... I think that he's 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 likening the actress Dodie to the uh, actress that played well, Mrs. No, Kravitz. Toots is saying, I love Mrs. Kravitz, the first one. So mm. I, I wasn't aware that there was more than one actress. I, oh, I the know. first one apparently passed away, according to Matt in the chat room. The first actress that played uh, Mrs. Kravitz on Bewitched passed away. Okay. Oh. Um, well, then it, I don't think Dodie could have been Mrs. Kravitz. Or, no, that's, yeah. Well, it's it's the type of character that she played, so. <laughs> yeah, and actually, it's it's kind of, she's kind of the nosy neighbor in Max Dugan Returns. So, so Spanky's clarifying, um, She no, she wasn't ever uh, Mrs. Kravitz, but there's certainly... A similarity between that Mrs. Kravitz and uh, and Dodie, and uh, you actually can see it in, in this movie. Uh, let's talk about um, some of the other people in this movie. Yeah, who made um, this movie? Who gave it to us? Uh, who's on the creative cast, Toppy? All right. Well, it's it's directed by Herbert Ross, um, who you might be surprised. <laughs> started his career as a dancer and choreographer. How he wound up um, directing movies, I wish I knew, and I tried to find out. Um, But uh, when he was young, he was a dancer and choreographer. But uh, he is responsible for directing such Beautiful, wonderful pictures as Goodbye, Mr. Chips in 1969 with Peter O'Toole, Petula Clark. He averaged a film a year over the next five years. Um, He did I Ought to Be in Pictures in 1982 with Walter Matthau and Anne Margaret. He directed Funny Lady in 1975 with Barbara Streisand and James Caan. He directed Footloose in 1984. And, of course, uh, that was with Kevin Bacon, who was also in another movie that Herbert Ross directed, Protocol, in 1984. And uh, he also directed others like Michael J. Fox and Julia Roberts. Uh, He was um, he he directed 12 different actors. That's 12 folks in Oscar nominated performances, including Peter O'Toole, George Burns, Walter Matthau, Mikhail Baryshnikov. What the hell was Mikhail Baryshnikov in? (laughs) It must have been Turning Point that and Anne Bancroft. It must have been Turning Point. I'll be damned. I did not know Herbert Ross. The turning point. Hmm. Uh, Shirley MacLaine. That must have been it. Uh, Leslie Brown, Richard Drivas, and Marsha Mason. Quinn Cummings. Was that the little girl from Goodbye Girl? I think so. Um, and Maggie Smith, Julia Roberts, uh, George Burns, Dreyfus, and Smith. They all won Oscars for their performances. These are all... Herbert Ross's movies, so prolific, and uh, uh, so many good movies. Now, once again, uh, he had a history of doing some Neil Simon movies. Um, For example, 
uh, California Suite, and a couple of others. This was his last Neil Simon movie, but honestly, not not sure what attracted him other than the fact that Neil Simon uh, directed this movie. I'm sure that's the only reason Herbert Ross picked this movie up because it's just well it's, it's a nice little movie as as uh, Max Dugan returns is it's it's no turning point or or my or funny lady or or uh, any of his others mm. um also a waste of talent as far as I'm concerned involved in this movie is Bob Mackey the costume designer what the hell DJ oh no what, what? <laughs> I mean the costumes in this movie are the most average it's just exactly what people wore everywhere mm. there's nothing remarkable the only thing you can say is yeah you caught the time and what people were wearing well I, uh, but, but but bob mackie is known for doing beautiful sexy gowns or elegant gowns for you know judy garland and liza minnelli and and share share as share most famously of all uh, and, uh carol burnett yeah. As well, but I mean, there's nothing. What what attracted Bob Mackie to do this movie? There's <laughs> nothing to do in this movie. Uh, maybe there was a twinkle in Herbert Ross's eye, and he said, "Hey, I got some money for you." <laughs> I suppose that must, must have been. So, Toppy, before we get too much further into the cast here, I think that we're at our halfway point. Would you like to introduce our intermission, sir? This movie practically doesn't have a score. There's some goofy music throughout it, but it's uh, folks go. This is a, a time for you to grab and refresh your drinks, run to the TT room. Uh, it's, you can listen to uh, the theme to Max Dugan Returns. Okay, and this is by composer David Shire. Sort of, I don't know, sort of gives you this. It had a wonderful animated opening sequence that that music played over. And uh, it sort of gave you this impression that Max Dugan's sort of a kind of magical character. Only, as it turned out, he wasn't really a magical character at all. He just had a satchel full of money. <laughs> now, Toppy, I wanted to take a moment to go back here just for a second. Uh, Mr. David Shire, who composed the piece that you just heard, has a local tie-in. Now, of course, here at the Marionette Theater, we're in the crux of uh, Western New York or Central New York. Spuds Flats. Flats. Now, Mr. David Shire is actually a buffalo native and he worked on other films including the soundtrack to the 77 film that got john travolta his big start saturday night fever and he also did the soundtrack to well maybe not as well a known film with ali sheedy called short circuit that starred uh, steve gutenberg as well 
And uh, speaking of a little bit of trivia here, moments ago we were talking about Donald Sutherland being part of the cast of the original film version of MASH in 77. Well, Mr. David Shire, that composed the soundtrack to Max Dugan Returns, was married to actress Dee Dee Kahn, who was in Benson, which starred MASH actor Rene Aubergenois. So there we have a tie-in. And oh, it's like uh, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon or something. Sure is. And Didi Khan also starred as Frenchie in Greece, which had Dodie Goodman. Wow, you went one step further. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's talk a little bit. Um, about um, how we felt about when we saw this. What this was a uh, a, 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 a selection of yours, DJ. Mm-hmm. What inspired you to um, to make this one of our topics? Well, now and then I take a trip down memory lane, and some of these films are from my childhood. So that's when I originally caught this film, and I remember sitting down in the living room, probably in one of those time frames when the cable box was actually a box that had buttons and levers and the cable company gave you a little paper strip that you stuck in the top that told you which channel was what station. So yes, the eighties. So I remember watching Max Dugan returns, probably not being old enough to understand that the mother, the teacher was a widow and that she was raising her kid on her own. I just, uh, you know, had a uh, a delightful experience watching this because here you've got two people who are down in their luck, who are try to who are clearly trying to make ends meet, who are doing without the niceties of life, and suddenly a voice from the past comes to the scene. Literally, one evening Nora is sitting in her home and the phone rings. And who should be on the other end? Her father, the man who abandoned her and her mother when she was just a child, who has done time for uh, maybe organized crime, and now he is offering a solution to her problems. He doesn't necessarily want to be part of her life, because here's the, the crux, folks. He's coming back into her life, but he's been only he's been given six months to live by his doctor, which we never find out. To be honest with you, if that's just a tale he spun, right? Um, because there's there's no proof he doesn't there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with him. I think that's just a story that he told. I don't think it was true. And you know, it's it's possibly more than likely true, especially considering that uh, you get the impression he's quite a dishonest person, especially since he abandoned his family. And just the the means by which he, he came into this money, you know, he, he tells a story that he owned property in Vegas. Okay, who doesn't have stories like this? And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he worked for the man to get his money back, and then he, he went off on the lam and... Um, you know, the, the police detective that's uh, taken a shine to his daughter uh, might be looking for him. So how trustworthy could he be? But in hindsight, in, this, in its simplest form, 
this is a uh, a charming story about a grandfather. He is realizing his mistakes. He wants to try to make amends, and he may not have much to offer, but he's got a briefcase full of money. That, he's got a satchel. Oh, he's got a satchel full of money that maybe he could give his grandson something that he could never his daughter. Possibly. And I'm just going to say that's a charming scenario. And God knows this family could use a little help money wise. <laughs> Although, uh, spoiler, they, they don't really accept the money. Um, but uh, the one thing I'll say, you know, uh, this father who is being reunited with his daughter and his grandson, he, he offers them nothing but the money. And really, I what I wanted to see, uh, by the way, this was my first viewing. And what I kind of thought maybe I would see is something about him. He getting or realizing somehow that it's not just about the money, but there's never that moment. There's never that moment when he says, oh, you know, maybe I should give myself here. And, and, but he's always about the money and the movie never really le leaves it. Now, granted, it gives a lot of comedic opportunities for them to be shocked by the new car and this and that. But, um, it, it just it lacks a little depth there. Um, and I kind of, I just was looking for that moment and it just never really comes. I, I like how he negotiates with the, you know, his daughter, the mother, he's not quite sure that she's going to accept him. So he concocts a story for the grandson when he meets him in the kitchen. Oh, I rented a room from your mother. Oh, I was in the middle of the night. She didn't want to wake you. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, mysteriously, I guess the mother decides, you know, I don't want you to tell my son that you're his grandfather. So uh, I don't think the kid ever knows, does he? Or does it finally get revealed to him? No, it does. Because, uh, you know, through the course of the identity changes, because uh, Max, he uh, he gives a different name to the grandson through different parts of the movie because he's not sure he's been accepted or that he's going to be allowed to stay. So at one point, his name's Mr. Parker. And then he tells him that his name's uh, Wittgenstein because he's into philosophy. And of course, philosophy is just to cover for embezzlement. Yeah. And um, oh, there's a lovely scene between him and Matthew Broderick when Robard's telling Broderick this whole story about how he was in jail with his father. And uh, and that's a story there that um, that he knew his father. And I guess he explains that the money came from his father. And he his last dying wish was that Robards find the family and, and get him this money. <laughs> so it's... Um, Robards is wonderful in the role. He makes acting look so easy. He's kind of a Spencer Tracy-like actor in that way. I mean, he just effortlessly is just becomes these characters. It's really quite amazing. Um, so he he has a good time with the role. Now Donald Sutherland, on the other hand, uh, maybe it was like you say money, but he's got nothing to do with this movie. The poor guy. Has <laughs> 
to do in this movie. He's good as the befuddled boyfriend who just does not understand what's going on. But it's a kind of a small role. It's really kind of inconsequential and just made me wonder what in the world possessed him to want to to do this movie it's kind of got nothing for him well you know in in hindsight um you know this this isn't uh, an oscar worthy storyline maybe but i think that what makes this movie enjoyable is that you have likable characters and you know Donald Sutherland's character, the the policeman there, he he plays the policeman quite well because he's very inquisitive. In fact, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where um, you know the the girlfriend Nora, the teacher, she's already refused to let him in to her house because she doesn't want him to meet her father, but uh, she says that she can't put the flowers he's just given her away because they have brown water and later on when the policeman finally gets inside the house you know max is getting ready to leave the scene as it were and uh max explains to him that he's he's a handyman he does odd jobs for her and of course because the girlfriend had already told him that they had brown water he looks at him at him as he's leaving. He the the policeman looks at Max and he says to him, "How are you at plumbing?" Because <laughs> he's about to put the flowers in water. <laughs> yeah, hey, don't get me wrong. He's he, Donald Sutherland is great at playing the everyman, and and that's that's his role. Um, well, we're kind of getting close to the end. Uh, you've got a nice piece of trivia here about something, uh, you know, this is, this we could call this trivia obscura, mm-hmm. but it's kind of fun. Uh, tell us about your, uh, your pop culture trivia bit about Pizza Hut. Okay, so uh, in, the, in Max Dugan Returns, the son is on a baseball team. In fact, that's, that's sort of their social activity when uh, the, the boyfriend meets up with the girlfriend at the baseball game, they both learn that their sons play baseball. And of course, what do you do after a big game? You go out to eat. And of course, the 80s was all about going to fast food and going to pizza. So Pizza Hut, which was mentioned in the end of the film, because she says the Pizza Hut on 8th Street, well, it was founded in 1958. So by the time this film came out, it was already 20 years old. And uh, Pizza Hut was founded out there in the Midwest in Kansas. Uh, the iconic Pizza Hut building style with the red roof was designed in 63 by a Chicago architect, George Lindstrom. And it was implemented in 69, so the summer of love. And uh, in 77, Pizza or Pepsi acquired the rights to Pizza Hut. So... Uh, they held on to it for a while, and they spun it off to a company called Yum Brands that have several restaurants. Uh, I think KFC, maybe Taco Bell. But anyways, Pizza Hut was a big part of the 80s and was part of Max Dugan Returns. And I remember having those glasses. And uh, in this case, I remember having glasses that had Care Bears on them from Pizza Hut. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Have you been to a Pizza Hut recently? Goodness, you know, um, here in in the uh, in the not quite Apple Country slash Oslo's, we don't have too many of them. I, I, you know, there's more independent pizza places here. I think the last time I actually went to a Pizza Hut was almost ten years ago because. My young 20-something nephew wanted to go to one of their infamous all-you-can-eat buffets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember their buffets. I haven't been to it in probably 17 years, but everyone I say who's gone to it, they all say the same thing. It's not like it used to be. So I, maybe it's gone downhill or something. Well, I know that uh, you know in uh, recent years, a lot of companies have had problems financially due to recessions and what have you. So they're quote unquote restructuring. In fact, I read recently that they had a goal of closing 500 stores. Oh, yeah, Toots just uh, posted a picture of one that has the caption Pizza Hut is closing hundreds of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Oops. Oh, Pizza Hut, don't, you don't have to go away entirely. <laughs> so you know. we are at that part of the program where we tell you about other things that you might like if you enjoyed this. So this is our snack tray. Natapi, I've I've said a fair share here. I'll take my turn in a moment. But uh, what do you think folks might enjoy if they liked Max Dugan? Well, Max Dugan, let's take uh, Matthew Broderick. He, he's not too annoying in this book. <laughs> no, a lot of people, including me, find him just somehow annoying. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just buying, you know, the gags that other people have said, but I'd be happy if he just didn't try to sing, but go ahead. All right. Well, I've never, yeah, I've never anyways, but I would recommend a movie that wasn't made all too long after this, but it was a few, few years later and it's called the freshman. And uh, he co-starred, believe it or not, with Marlon Brando, who was parodying his own performance in uh, the gangster. Uh, oh, Godfather. Yeah, he was parodying himself from the Godfather. So that's pretty cute. But also the freshman is a very appealing movie. He's very Broderick is very appealing in it, so I recommend that. Also, a much more mature performance from Broderick in Glory, uh, which was Denzel Washington's debut movie. And so just for more Broderick, I'd recommend those two, The Freshman and Glory, as uh, very good movies and very good performances. Donald Sutherland... He plays the everyman to perfection in uh, an Oscar-winning movie called Ordinary People, directed by Robert Redford and co-starring Mary Tyler Moore, of all people, who does a real switch in that movie, playing a very unlikable character. And so I recommend Ordinary People for more of Donald Sutherland. And I think uh, Tommy brought up his... Uh, his uh, role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, a remake in the 70s with Leonard Nimoy and uh, oh, the, 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 the movie debut of uh, the, the guy that, that was in the uh, the dinosaur movie. Let's play the scientist. Uh, what's his name? Oh, um, Jeff Goldblum? Thank you! <laughs> that was- that uh, that version of Body Snatchers was <laughs> go, uh, his uh, movie debut. Anyways, 
Um, and and last, uh, a thing out of Canada, um, and it was called, it was made for TV. It was called The House Without a Christmas Tree, and it starred Jason Robards. It was repeated for a couple few years in the United States, although I haven't seen Heidner hair of it in years. But a nice movie, a nice turn for Jason Robards. A House Without a Christmas Tree, made for TV, and I think it was a Canadian um, production. So those are my picks. What do you got, DJ? Alrighty. Well, so the star of Max Dugan Returns was the incomparable Marsha Mason, who may have been better known in theater. Now, I have not seen this film, but it's on my watch list because in 77... She was in a film that she got a, a award nomination for, where she starred with Richard Dreyfus in The Goodbye Girl. We mentioned that. But after Max Dugan returns, just a handful of years, she started a film with Clint Eastwood. Now, there's a little controversy about this movie because... The role was supposed to be a retired military officer. And at the time that this script was being made, they consulted different branches of the armed forces and they were trying to find somebody that would allow them to say, this person's retired from your branch. Well, this film was called Heartbreak Ridge in 86 with Clint Eastwood. It starred Marsha Mason in the role of his ex-wife. And uh, it was a very uh, no-nonsense role for her. She was very strong in that. And uh, my last recommendation for Marsha Mason was sort of a smallish role, but not too terribly small. She co-starred with Bette Midler in a film in 1990. And this is actually a remake from a film, I want to say, in the 40s, a black and white film called Stella Dallas. Mm -hmm. And the 1990 version was just simply called Stella. But it's a story about a single mother who's raising her child in, um, well, in northern New York, in Watertown, I think, in this case. But Marsha Mason plays a very lovable character, and uh, she is the stepmother in this film. And unlike the Disney stepmothers, she's thoroughly enjoyable. In fact, she has uh, quite a bit of power in this film as she is actually an editor for a major publishing firm. (laughs) And uh, she's just basically the stepmother that's trying to flash her money to win the love of the daughter in this film, but a very lovable film called Stella with Bette Midler. And, um, well, I'm trying to reach for a Matthew Broderick film here. Um, Well, I would have to say there's a 90s film called Deck the Halls with Matthew Broderick, and uh, it's basically one of those neighbor competition films. It takes place during the holidays, they're trying to see who can decorate their house the the most uh, biggest and brightest and be seen on the satellite. And it has Danny DeVito in it as the new neighbor who moves in. But I also love it because as one of my favorite singers and performers, Kristen Chenoweth, as Danny DeVito's wife in this movie. So deck the halls with Matthew Broderick, Danny DeVito and Kristen Chenoweth. And Spanky in the, t- in the chat room 
has reminded us uh, that Broderick was in Torch Song Trilogy, the movie, and also uh, he was um, in, he, I think he may have replaced the original, but he was in the stage, the original Broadway version of Torch Song um, Trilogy, uh, I think later on. On, in its production. So also just a reminder, The Goodbye Girl, uh, an original screenplay by Neil Simon. Mm. And um, let's get out uh, that bag of magical coins. Alrighty. And uh, we'll be able to slip that into the uh, gumball machine. That's how we make our next selection. Okay, folks. So we're going to figure out what we're going to be talking about next. And that'll be on our next show, which is the third Friday of the month. And that is Friday, September 20th. So here we go. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Why can't I use the gumball machine? (laughs) Here we go. It's a little capsule, uh, don't you know? And then it is my next pick. It's an obscure movie that I'll just bet none of you have seen, but I want you to. It's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a gothic thriller. Redone in modern times, that is. 1972 is when it was made. It's called You'll Like My Mother. And it stars Patty Duke, uh, Rosemary Murphy, and a very young Richard Thomas. So it is a strange little movie, and uh, I want us to talk about it next time on Matinee Minutia. You'll like my mother. All right. So we want to thank you guys for coming tonight and uh, hanging out with us while we uh, figure out these newly hung curtains of ours. And uh, we are going to say goodnight to you. Say goodnight, Gracie. Uh, goodnight, Gracie. Hey, thanks, everyone, for showing up in the chat room. Hopefully, I hope we'll see you next time. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Just a little side note, some uh, business that we could mention. Uh, we have received more than a handful of suggestions for future episodes from our listeners. So we want to thank you for writing in to us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. Well, I could safely say that uh, some of the things that we have coming down the pike will include, well, some iconic gay pop culture. We've got some 80s programs. And uh, we may have a long-running British sci-fi show coming down the pike. We have a guest or two that has asked to join us on the stage. So we're going to try to work our magic to include those folks in our lineup. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our program is live every other Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to univazpods.net. Click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Join our Facebook group or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a future show or just want to message us? 
email us at matinemanusha at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univazpods.net.